Welcome to the Purpose City Church Podcast, where we're dedicated to guiding you on a journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're thrilled to have you here, and regardless of where you're tuning in from, we have faith that this message will be a direct source of inspiration in your life. Today is an awesome day uh, because we're starting a brand new series here at Purpose City, and um, I think it's going to be incredibly impactful. I think it's incredibly timely for where the Lord is taking us and shifting us as we prepare for uh, 2024. The Lord has given us a vision for the direction of this house. Um, Our leaders have been uh, given that information. They are currently praying over it, and the Lord has a specific plan for this house, and that includes you. And he wants more than anything, for you to know who he is to you and who you are to him. So we're going to start a series today that's called Down with the King. Down with the King. And this series will be rooted in a passage of scripture that's found in your Bibles, Jeremiah 29 and 11. And sorry, Carla, I'll be reading in the NLT because I don't speak British. For I know the plans I have for you. Come on, church. They're good. Not for disaster. They're to give you a future, say future, and a hope. You need to know that the Lord has a plan for you and that his plan is good and that his plan is to give you a future and a hope. Let's pray really quickly. Lord, thank you for your word on today. Thank you for your consideration of us today. And we just ask that you step in and take control of this service because we want you to get the glory out of our lives. So, Father, we come with open hearts and open minds and expectation to hear directly from you what you will have for us to do. And in advance, we give you praise. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Growing up, I always wanted a starter jacket. Who knows? about starter jackets. You have to be of a certain age to know how powerful, how your status increased if you were blessed enough to have a starter jacket. Now, the problem was I was in Chicago. This is the 80s. And there was a big problem with gangs. So people were actually getting robbed, or worse, for their starter jackets. And there were certain starter jackets that you could not wear because they were gang colors. For instance, example, you could not wear, even though they were popular at the time, the Charlotte Hornets. Well, that, you're telling on yourself. I'm not going to say why. But, but you weren't supposed to wear that. 
because it became affiliated with a gang called the Four Corner Hustlers. And so they would use the C and the H for the corner and the hustlers, and then they would stitch on the number four. And so if people saw you with that, they assumed that you were a part of that organization. And there were many starter jackets and teams that were off limits because if you walked in the wrong neighborhood with the wrong colors on, you was in trouble. And being a young guy and my friends, we were all the same age, we were like prime targets for recruitment. But what you knew when you saw these colors was who they were down with, who they belonged to, who they were representing. So as a young guy, you know, some of my friends, they wanted that, that love and that camaraderie. And, uh, you know, we would walk and they would, they, they would come up to you and say, who you down with? It's like, I am down with the Boy Scouts of America, sir. I am two patches away from we below status. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a Boy Scout. Scout's honor. But your uniform, your appearance, what you did was a representation of who you were down with. And what the Lord is calling us to as we enter into this holiday season where we celebrate our king and his arrival to this earth, he wants to know if you're down with him. Are you down with the king. Does anybody have the ability to tell obviously and explicitly that you represent him? Or, or, or are you looking like me where they coming up and saying, who are you down with? Because you don't have that uniform, that appearance, you don't have that reputation or that resume to show any type of representation of the kingdom of God. That's a problem. We got to talk about it. We have to adjust fire so that we can obviously and explicitly represent the king. Look at Jeremiah 29 again. We just read it, but let's dive into it. For I know I have, for I know the plans I have for you. What you need to know without a shadow of a doubt regardless of what the enemy is whispering in your ear, that he has a plan for you. Some of us are standing still because we don't realize that he has a plan for us, and we get there in various ways. Some of us are standing still because we believe that our time has passed. That maybe there was a plan, but I missed it. Maybe, maybe, maybe that plan was for another season that I accidentally shot through, and now there can't be a plan for me. I'm too old. I've been through too much. I've done so much wrong. There can't be a plan for me. But God wants you to know that there is a plan for you and that you need not stand still any longer. Some of us get to this place because we were super fruitful in times past. We think 
that we filled up our kingdom resume enough. Oh, yeah. I used to. Back in the day, I did. At one time, I, fill in the blank with whatever spiritual gift that you tucked in your back pocket in 2023. But that's because you forgot that he's got a plan for you. Can I let you know that the plan ends when your life does? Have you read about the fig tree? There was this fig tree that Jesus walked by. And he saw that that fig tree bore no fruit. And he cursed it and it died. Here's the problem. Here's what's so unfair. It wasn't the season for the fruit to be born. How can Jesus get mad at a tree not bearing fruit in a season that fruit is not born? It's because the plan for that tree had expired. Whether it was fruit season or not, the plan was over. Why is that good news? The fact that you're sitting here means that the plan is still active. The question is, are you? Okay, this is too much. I came out the gate too hot. I know, I know. They are plans for good. The enemy loves for you to think otherwise. He loves to bring back to your remembrance all the wrong that you've done. He loves to bring back to remembrance all the ways that you've, quote, unquote, disqualified yourself. He loves for you to rem reminisce on just how awful those habits are that you have in secret. He loves for you to think about all the different ways that he has tripped you up over the timeline of your life. He wants you to dwell more on that than the plans of God for your life. Because if he can get you zeroed in on your shortcomings, you don't have the filter to see your savior. Why do you think you need a savior? Because you were sinking in sin on your way to hell, when he decided that he was going to sacrifice his life for yours and then exchange his expectations that you sacrifice your life for his. Here's the issue. We kind of stop with, I know the plans that I have for you, and we get our fill we get our spiritual, emotional tank filled up. God has a plan for my life. Hey, glory. And we get excited for two minutes because we stop reading. And the reason that that tank doesn't stay filled up is because after a future and a hope, we take off on a victory lap. And we, and we fail to see that there's another verse that says, in those days when you pray, I will listen. Here it is. If you, if you, if you look for me wholeheartedly. Okay. 
is going to be tough. Are you ready? Take a deep breath. Let it out. Most of you are looking for him half-heartedly. Most of you are searching him out circumstantially. When the pressure gets turned up in your life, you pray hard. When prosperity shows up, you think it's all about you. I don't need that God in heaven anymore. This is my degree that got me here. This is my business skills that grew this company. And we forget that we're supposed to be seeking him with our whole heart. There should be no aspect of our life where we're not seeking him. There should be no part of our day where we're not including him. So you got to ask yourself, what type of God do you have? What type, what type of Christianity are you walking in? Is it the daily kind? Is it the every Sunday kind? Is it monthly? Is it Christmas and Easter? Like what type of faith is it that you're cultivating in your life? Because for some of you, it's hard to tell who you're down with. Your Lord and Savior is making a requirement and a request of you, and that's to seek him wholeheartedly. Everything that you have in you, there's supposed to be a pursuit of him. And so with that in mind, today we're going to tackle a message that's called, Here We Grow Again. Because here in the kingdom of God, you should be growing. Even if you've grown in times past, the question is, how, how much are you growing right now? Can you look and find any tangible evidence of growth in 2023? This quarter, this week, has there been that pursuit, that wholehearted kind? where you're chasing after him because you can't chase after him and not find him. The Bible says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you knock, the door will open. So some of you are like, Pastor, I prayed. And I don't hear nothing. And I'm confused. Well, it's not that he's not talking. Oh, that, that would be unbiblical if he was silent. But he promised you that if you seek after him, he's not playing. He's not running away. He said, if you seek your whole heart, you will find me. So there may be a problem that your seek is broken. Your pursuit is faulty. And maybe, maybe it's time to look at something something different because you're pursuing different goals and aspirations and you're asking God for certain things and, and you're wanting him to do this and do that, but you haven't positioned yourself biblically to receive what you're asking for because you haven't pursued him wholeheartedly. Here's a truth that you got to get down in your belly. You don't qualify for God's best until you commit to giving God your best. 
Why are you asking him for something you're not willing to give him? See, you only come to church sometimes. You only pray every now and then. You only read your Bible when it just pops in the back of your mind like, oh, let me. That's half-hearted pursuit. Because when you love something, when you love someone, it is not a bother to do the things that put a smile on that person's face. Oh, no, 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 no. When you love that person, you're actively trying to figure out ways to please them. When you love somebody wholeheartedly, you lose sight of yourself because of your pursuit of them. That's wholehearted pursuit. What does this look like in the, in the Christian faith? Well, we have a word called discipleship. Say discipleship. They don't say that word in church enough. In most churches, we just love to get you to the point of salvation. Like, yeah, we did it. The angels in heaven are rejoicing. And they are. But that's the beginning, not the end. Yes, he came and died for you and your sin. Got about the grave so that you could be made free and whole. But that's not the only thing. Are you okay so far? Yes, you should absolutely, we should all be trying our best to help everybody that we can get to the feet of Jesus Surrender their sins and find salvation. But discipleship is how I grow after my decision to follow Jesus. Like there's getting to Jesus. There's a surrender to him that he responds to. And then your response is to go on a journey with him. To follow after him. How? Oh, Heartedly. We can find a blueprint for this in Ephesians, the second chapter, starting at the eighth verse in the NLT. Stop playing. God saved by his grace. Say grace. Grace is you receiving things from God that you did not earn. One of those things that you received is his salvation, because you ain't earn it. The reason it's grace is because you actually did commit the sins that you were found guilty of. You were not innocent, but he put his innocent self in, his, in your place that permitted you to receive the grace of salvation, the gift of salvation. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. That's why he did it. Because the credit is his. The glory is his. It's not yours. It's not mine. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Did you hear that? That means you can't pray enough to earn salvation. You can't give enough to earn salvation. You can't have enough good attendance in church to earn salvation. It's a gift from God. You don't have it in you to earn it. 
<laughs> so that's why it's done by grace. Why? Again, so none of us can boast about it. So even in our witness sometimes, we, we, we try to give the gospel to somebody, but we're doing it from a high and lofty place because we forgot that it was a gift that we got, that we did not earn, that we cannot qualify for. And so this whole chapter serves as a reminder. Some of y'all need to read Ephesians 2 over and over again. The, first, the very first verse says that you, you deserve death. I mean, Paul, I mean, give it to me easy, like. He said, you were once dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. He was talking about you. It's a reminder that what you actually earned, you did not receive. And he was explicit. He, he, he could have just said your disobedience and sins, but he said your many sins. Some of y'all think y'all only had two. Sick of y'all. Y'all the ones that read the King James Version. But your many sins. <laughs> Sorry, baby. But the verse goes on to say we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew. Here's what you got to understand. Hear me. We don't work to earn salvation. We can't. But because of salvation, we should want to work. Say it one more time. Maybe I we don't work to get saved. It's a gift from God. But there should be a response in you because you are in such awe of the fact that a perfect God would give up his life for an imperfect you that it should cause you to want to work. The Bible says it really clearly. He has created us anew. What does that mean, he created us anew? Meaning that he gave us the gift of salvation. Why? So we can do good things. Hello? Not so we can have good attendance. So we can do good things. The reason it's quiet is because how many of us are doing good things? Versus how many of us are expecting good things? How many of us are doing good things? And how many of us are just sitting in these seats showing up today because we are expecting good things? I'm going to press it in just a little bit further because y'all don't believe me. I have to give you extra verses. Paul, again, in Philippians 2 and 12 says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Has your salvation produced any results? Hello? Does anybody, is anybody able to tell that you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus? 
Is there any part of you that has transformed? The Bible is telling us that our response to the gift of salvation is that we work hard. Not that we work sparingly. Not that we work when we feel like it. Not that we work when the situation is perfect. Not that we work hard when I get myself together. I got to clean a few things up, Pastor. You don't have it in you to clean it up. Your response to the gift of salvation is work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. God has spoken so many things to you. And you have not responded. Why? Because you lack deep reverence, fear. You tell God, I'll get to it when I get to it. You do. You tell God, well, see, what had happened was, You tell God, well, you know, I don't really have time. Somebody else can pack those toys because, you know, college football, champ championship. <laughs> God, surely you don't want me to miss championship. We come up with every possible reason. Somebody said excuse. It wasn't me. I'm just repeating what they said. Excuse <laughs> to give God our leftovers. That's not a wholehearted pursuit. When you give God your leftovers in your calendar, you're letting him know what type of priority he has in your heart. When you can only serve, give, show up when it's convenient, you don't look like you're down with the king. You look like you're down with you. You look like you're down with your comfort. Love your little safety zone. And that's why the results you've been seeking haven't shown up. Because God puts a requirement on it. He said it requires a whole-hearted pursuit. I know this ain't a Christmassy message, I'm sorry. But what he's requiring of you, it's necessary. Promise you it is. And as a pastor, I want this for you. I want you to receive all that God has for you, but I got to tell you how to get it. I want to just be like, you know what, just, just believe. 
faith. Just get it down in your heart. Visualize it, and it's going to show up. I'm biblical. God made the ultimate sacrifice, and you don't want to make any. It doesn't go together. Not when you're down with the king. You should love him so much that you want more of him in your life. You should love him so much that you feel like you can't go on without him. You should love him so much that you're willing to forsake anything that gets in the way of you getting to him when you're down with the king. Your response should be, I'm willing to work hard. Like Philippians tells us, to show the results of my salvation. It's like, it's like raising kids that never want to get out to bed. They love sleep. And I love to get on their nerves. I just go in there and flip the lights on like, get up. Bought you an alarm clock. Turn that thing on. I don't want it. Now, a good parent ain't going to just let them sit there and miss school. You're going to make sure they get up. You're going to make sure they get something to eat. You're going to kick them out before they miss the bus. Because you're a good parent. And later on, they thank you like, you know, appreciate you. Thank you for pushing me. It's because you pushed me that I am where I am today. <laughs> and your heavenly father is trying to do the same thing with you. He's trying to turn the lights on. He's trying to get you out of your slumber and get you to get active. <laughs> he wants it so bad for you. Paul talks about it in Galatians. He says, oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains. Now, I don't know what that's like. Never had a labor pain. You all right, Sherelle? She look like she in labor pain right now. But I did see it from a distance. We are the parents of three children. And I remember when we first started our, our child rearing years. That's what we call it. Because we chill for a while, and then we just knock them jokers out. Boom, boom, boom. But I remember, I said, you know what? I'm going to get prepared for this. I went and got this big old book on how to be a good dad and what to prepare for each month of the, of the pregnancy. And I was a good student, man. I was just like, okay, yep, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm going to do this, yep, yeah, okay, all right, then this, expect this, and then this is going to happen. And I felt so prepared. I felt ready. We had our the little hospital bag pre-packed. We knew. Oh, 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 oh. I knew all the little stuff. <laughs> but then the, the time came. Listen. 
I promise you, Ty is Jesus' little baby cousin. Like, she's really close to the Lord. Like, there's, there's hardly anybody more saved than Ty. She grew up watching Little House on the Prairie and listening to the whinings her whole life. True story. But when the labor got intense, all them whinings, they tried to give her the medicine and it didn't take. So she's just doing the thing. She just got to fight this thing. And it was even worse with our youngest. See, you heard that? She flashed back right there. The youngest was coming so fast that it was too late for her to even attempt to get the epidural. Listen, when they told her that, she almost got back in the car. She's like, I know you lying. They said, ma'am, she's on the way. It's too late for the epidural. We just got to go for it. I'm like, Baby, we can do this. And she screamed from the pain because Gracie was coming so fast. And then Grace was born and there was no screams. Just a smile. This baby, with all three of them, the pain dissipated. And there's this exuberant joy of knowing what the pain produced. There's this exceeding joy, and there's this sense of amnesia because you're so focused on what was produced that you forget what it took to produce it because you're so consumed with what was produced and your heart is beating with so much love from this gift that the pain becomes a distant memory. But that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to convey. He's saying, oh, my dear children, I feel as though I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. That baby is the, is the fully developed Christ in your lives. There's been many times where we've cried over this church and we've cried over you as the people of this church because we want more than anything for Christ to be fully developed in your lives. But we can't do it for you. We can put you in the position. We can make opportunities available, but we, we can't. We can't make you grow. We can't put that desire in your heart to want to pursue him wholeheartedly. That has to come from you. There has to be something in you that so appreciates what God has done that you're willing to do anything. Show him that you're down with him. 
you need to take a moment just to evaluate yourself. Because what, what I'm talking about is engaging your own discipleship process. Because you surrender, which was step one, but what has your pursuit been thereafter? How much of your discipleship journey have you taken? And now this goes for somebody who's just saved or been saved. Because sometimes them been saved folk know how to put on a good front. You, you drinking milk 20 years later because you didn't engage your discipleship journey. You just bought church clothes. What's your discipleship? How engaged are you in your journey of faith? Are you waiting for your pastor to drag you into the future? Or are you following them into the future? It's a difference. So what's next? I gave you theology around the fact that you need to pursue and work and engage your own discipleship journey. If you're waiting for me to do it, if you're waiting for Ty to do it, you're doing it wrong. There are steps you need to take. The first one is you need to personalize and say, I'm going to make my relationship with God public. We're talking about being down with the king. It should be obvious to people who you're down with. But sometimes it's hard to tell looking at your timeline. Sometimes it's hard to tell looking at your text messages. Sometimes it's hard to tell looking at your water cooler conversations who you're down with. Some of y'all are confusing. I guess that was a lot more people than I thought because it got like extra quiet right there. Are you with me, babe? Okay, we good. One way that you can do this is to get baptized. We'll have that opportunity available soon. But baptism is a public demonstration. It's a response to the fact that you've been saved. And it's biblical. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, it says, those who believe what Peter said were baptized. It says it was 3,000 people. And the first response to them surrendering their lives was baptism. So we don't do it just for no reason. We do it because it's in the Bible. As a matter of fact, there's 27 instances in your Bible where those two things happen one after the other. Somebody gave their life, and the next command was be baptized. So we don't do it just to do it. We do it because the Bible tells us to. And since the Bible is inspired by the Spirit of God, anything the Spirit of God is instructing us to do, we should do it with no problem. But some of us, we just, we just say, you know what, I, you know, I don't want to get my hair wet like that. I mean, I'm saved, I, you know. I said the prayer, but my hair. <clears throat> but I'm trying to, trying to give y'all the Bible. 
That word baptized is, is, is what's called a transliteration, meaning that there was no English word to represent what the original word actually was. The, the, the original word is baptizo, and it means to immerse, to fully submerge in water. And it was, it was a requirement in the first century church. Somehow it became optional in the 2023 church. But it's a demonstration that my life has changed. Like, sal salvation doesn't come from baptism. Salvation comes from grace. But salvation should have some responses. And one of those should be the desire to be baptized. In the Bible, in, in, in the book of Peter, uh, he teaches that the act of baptism is symbolic. Say symbolic. And it's a representation of what happened in the Old Testament with Noah. And when the flood came, and how Noah and his sons and his sons' wives and the animals got on the vessel, the ark, and they were saved when the water came. And so Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3 and 21, and that water from Noah's day is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a symbol. It is a symbol. It is a public display of you letting the world know that your life is forever changed because you have encountered Jesus Christ. You are letting the world know, I belong to Jesus. I'm down with the king. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And I want everybody to know. It's important that you represent the king. Because he has stated in his word that if you don't, he won't represent you. Matthew 10 and 32 says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But, but, everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. If you don't represent, he not representing. I got to stop playing with the king. He's looking. He's watching. He's judging. Do you represent me on earth? Because if you do, I'm going to represent you here in heaven. But if you're ashamed of me, the moment they disagree with your philosophy that's lined with the scripture, you're going to bag back? When what they say becomes popular, even though it's unbiblical, are you going to slide over there so you can get a little piece of that popularity? Are you going to be ashamed of me when my truth goes against the popular opinion? Because everybody that denies me on earth, mm -hmm, 
I'm going to deny you before my father. So I want to encourage everybody to make their relationship with God public. Number two, it's only four points I have. Spend time with God every day. Like it's like a dub, but y'all don't do it. What type of relationship can you make healthy by communicating with them every now and then? What will your marriage look like? What will your relationship with your kids look like? What your relationships at work look like if you communicated every now and then? But yet, we communicate every now and then with God and expect a healthy relationship that we can hear clearly from him that we can discern his voice, that we'll know his will when we barely communicate with him, when we barely spend time with him. Paul, excuse me, David says in Psalms 5 and 3, listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I will bring my request to you and wait expectantly every morning. Every morning, I want you to hear my voice. Every morning, I'm going to bring my request to you. And every morning, I'm going to wait. That's the part you miss. I'm going to wait in expectation. Like, I know that I'm not communicating to no one. I know who I'm communicating to, and I know that you will answer. That only comes when you have a strong relationship with God. The reason he feels so distant is because he might be so distant from you. By your choice and by your daily decision. And we make it way harder than it has to be. You don't need a seminary degree to cultivate a relationship with God. You just need an open heart. You just need consistency. The fact that your eyes open and your heart still beating should be enough to say, Lord, thank you. Lord, I appreciate you. But the first thing you do is go to social media. The second thing you do is check your emails. You're communicating with everybody but the Father. And wondering why you can't hear his voice. Because he hasn't heard yours. We make it too hard. You can literally spend five minutes in God's word every day. And do way better than you're doing now. Because he'd rather talk to you a little bit every day. Than to hear a whole bunch from you once a month. Spend five minutes. Open up your Bible. Read a chapter. Wait. Ask him to open up your understanding. Read a paragraph. Read the same verse over and over again. I don't care. You can spend five minutes reading God's word. You can spend five minutes in worship. You got to understand how powerful worship is. Not just for your Sunday, for your everyday. 
when you spend a few minutes in worship, it changes you. It gives you a different type of edge, a different type of vibe, a different type of pep in your step when you spend some time just worshiping him. Using song to minister to him because that's what worship is. Like we don't come in here and sing songs for our benefit. We come in here and sing songs as a offering up to him, telling him how amazing he is. Five minutes in God's word, five minutes in worship, and five minutes in prayer. You can literally set a timer. Like God wouldn't be mad at your timer. You can open up your iPhone. I, do uh, Androids have timers? I don't know. Anybody? I don't know. But if you have an iPhone, you can set a timer. It sounds like, I mean, but would God be like, he knows it's a timer on your phone. He would much rather you be consistently available, consistently accessible than to be randomly available and randomly accessible. How you don't have 15 minutes to be in his presence every day? How? How, Sway, how? You got 15 minutes. Now, will you stay there forever? No, but some of y'all not even here. You look really saved. You look the part. But you don't know three scriptures. Here's why this is important. This is an old, old warrior, old warrior creed that says, those who sweat more in training bleed less in war. So those little 15 minutes is training. It's cultivating something in you that makes when the warfare shows up at your door, you're prepared. You're not caught off guard. You have ammunition. Listen, I've been to a real war. And let me tell you something. All the practice that I had before I got there was completely necessary. Because, you know, on the front lines, when bullets are flying, bullets are flying, it's not the time to say, hmm, how does this rifle work? Do I take it? How do I take it? You're going to die. You have to put in the work during training. You have to sweat it out so that when the war comes, you are prepared. Can I just tell you, this, is, this little 15 minutes is going to drive you crazy because the devil doesn't want you consistent. There will always be an excuse that pops up. There will always be a reason not to do it. Yesterday, guys, you know, I've been trying to, you know, get my little exercise back on. And I said, man, I'm going to the gym. I was rapping, said, I'm going to do this, do that. Man, I took a nap, and I completely just, that feeling passed. Because, you know, you burn calories in your sleep, too, you know. So, kind of wear it out. I took an afternoon nap, and I said, you know what? God is pleased. He's pleased. But that's how some of us are. Like, we want the benefits of that relationship with God. We want to be able to hear from him, maybe give the word, maybe pray over somebody, maybe walk with somebody, do their discipleship journey, but we ain't put in the word. 
That's like expecting a six-pack, but you eating Taco Bell and McDonald's every day. The two don't go together. <laughs> but we have to put in that work. Listen, we as a church, we're going to give you the opportunity. Next month, we're going to do 21 days of prayer. 21 days of prayer. Amen. I need y'all to keep that same energy next month. Because there's going to be 21 reasons that you're going to not show up. Every morning, the devil going to be like, go back to bed. You can pray in your, uh, uh, with your pillow. Because anytime you pursue God wholeheartedly, the enemy's going to try to talk you out of it. Because we don't understand how valuable our training is. We don't read the Bible to be religious. We read the Bible because it's training. It's putting ammunition in our pockets. We don't pray because it's religious. We pray because it's training. It's strengthening us for spiritual warfare. We don't worship because the song was nice and the beat was good. We worship because it's training us how to handle the presence of God. It's training us. So you should spend time with God every day. Number three, you got to choose the right relationship. Proverbs 13 and 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. First Corinthians New Testament says it like this. Don't be misled, meaning that you can be misled. So the Bible says don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You need some better friends. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey neighbor, my name is... And I need better friends. Your relationship starts with a relationship with your church. Some of you are just a tender. You have no relationship with us. You need to go through next steps. Become a member officially. And develop relationships at your local church. Every first, second, and third Sunday, we have next steps, 9 a.m. You can register, sign up, get plugged in. But that's, again, you engaging your discipleship journey. This was the trick of the pandemic to get people away from the local church, to get people disconnected from the people of God. It's a trick and it's a trap because you become convenient. It becomes about you. So you should develop a relationship with the local church. You should also take it a step further and develop a relationship with a small group. That's the way that we stay connected at the church is we have groups of people that meet and hang out and do life and clean up their messes together because every church on this planet is full of imperfect people. We don't care how pressed their shirt is. They are full of imperfections just like you, and that's why we're supposed to do life together. The last one is you should, do, you should develop a relationship with the team. We believe because my wife and I are both servants. 
No matter what our role is, we will always serve. No matter what field that we found ourselves in, we were always serving. No matter what church that we were at, we were always serving. And you know what happens when you serve? You get stronger because you were meant to do life with people. And when you are serving, you are connecting yourself to something bigger than yourself. And when you're connected to something bigger than yourself, you find new meaning. You find purpose. Last point, I think is the most important one. How do you continue to grow? Make a difference in the lives of others. Like when you're intentional about finding opportunities to change somebody's life for the good, it inevitably positively affects your own life. Takes you somewhere that you couldn't go on your own. Why? Because as believers, as kingdom citizens, we are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. We are spiritual contributors and not spiritual consumers. God gave us this gift called salvation because he wanted to use us in the life of someone else. Just like he used someone to get you. That's how this works. But in too many situations, we get into consumerist mentalities and we pick a church based on what we can get. Not what we can give. It's easy for us to not use our gifts because we are consumer-minded. When we become contributors, we bring our gifts to the altar freely, gladly, excitedly. Why? Because we're down with the king. And it's our heart's desire to be used by God to advance his kingdom when you're down with the king. If you're not down with the king, you sit there, you take good notes, and the only thought you have is how can this make my life better? Does it stop there? Or do you want to get closer to God so that you can be used by him? The difference between a contributor and a consumer. We are the church. And we exist for the world. We don't exist for ourselves and our own pleasures. Nothing wrong with the pursuit of an improved life for yourself. But it is not the ultimate goal. We are the church, every last one of us, with all of our imperfections and flaws. And we are the church. The church was erected for the world to be a light in darkness. You were saved to be a representation of the goodness of God. Do people see the goodness of God when they see you? Do people experience the goodness of God when they experience you? 
Or is it just the same experience they have with everyone else? Is there any diff anything different about you that will cause me to want to know more about the God that you serve? Even through your flaws and imperfections, you can be a banner that he can wave. I don't know if you read your Bible, but all them people was crazy and flawed and imperfect and tripping. And yet there they are in your Bible. But you're trying to wait to clean your life up. Then I'll serve. When I get that raise, then I'll give. When I get a new alarm clock, then I'll show up before the second song. That's not in my notes. I'm sorry. But when we pursue wholeheartedly, there's nothing that can stop us. Because we want all that he has for us. I'll close by restating this last verse that we read earlier. Ephesians 2 and 10. For we are God's workmanship. All of us. Created in Christ Jesus. To do good works. Are you doing any good work? Because the Bible says that you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And those good works, he prepared for you long ago. Meaning that the plan that he talked about was already a plan before you were. Are you walking out playing that he has for you. Can we all stand? What the Lord wants you to know, that here in the kingdom of God, we grow again. We grow and then we grow some more. We grow some more and then we grow some more. There's never a moment in this journey where you're supposed to be at your point of arrival. The destination of arrival is heaven. And until then, you're on a journey with him. He wants you to grow. Thank you for being part of today's episode. To stay connected, please visit us at PurposeCityChurch.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your loved ones. Your support means the world to us. As you go about your day, remember to make a meaningful difference in the world. Thanks for listening.